0: Hello, and welcome to Assigned Scientist at Bachelors. I'm Charles, and I'm an entomologist. And I'm Tessa, and I'm an astrobiologist. And today it's just the two of us to talk about the first two episodes of the classic alien teen drama, Roswell. And we're talking about the good one from 1999, and not the new one from a couple of years ago that I don't care about at all, because <laughs> it's not Roswell. So as with as with many things that I bring to the podcast, Tessa, I'd love to know your background with Roswell.
1: I remember like hearing about it and seeing promos for it, like when it first aired. But I was I don't know twelve at the time, so it was a little too old for to be of interest to me. Recall hearing mostly good things about it but I never really got into it. And honestly, I'd kind of forgotten about it for the most part until you mentioned it to me.
0: I first watched Roswell in its entirety, I think when I was like 16. And I've watched it all the way through a couple of times since then. I'm very attached to it. Intellectually, I know that it's an extremely corny show, but also... I just, there's this certain quality of relatively low-budget sci-fi from the 90s and early 2000s that we're just never going to get was
1: surprisingly charming, I will say. It's
0: charming!
1: It's very charming.
0: Max is really annoying, but we'll get into
1: it. Yeah, I I noticed that. I was like, okay, maybe it's just because I'm a lesbian, but I am not seeing the appeal of this dude at all. I'm
0: very gay, and I, I wouldn't, I would not. I'd go out with a woman before I went out with Max. He really bums me out. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Yeah, okay, so to to set up sort of the premise of the show, there are a bunch of teens who live in Roswell, New Mexico, which, of course, is one of the classic alien sites and sort of American extraterrestrial lore because of, you know, the Roswell crash site. The perspective character of the show primarily is Liz Parker, who is a big nerd. She's very academic. She's very science-minded. And she's played by Sherry Appleby. And she works as a waitress in her family's diner, along with her best friend, Maria. And they are both humans. And there ends up being a shooting over some financial transaction in the diner. And Liz gets shot. But surprise, Max who is sort of a a classic broody silent boy is an alien and has magical alien powers and i don't know dissolves the bullet and heals her wound and then uh a bunch of stuff happens after that so how did how did treat you how'd you like it
1: um yeah. and i I will say
0: before you before you answer if it's a negative evaluation, I'm never talking to you again.
1: No, I enjoyed it. You know, like I said, it's very charming. It's very earnest. And, you know, there's certain aesthetic about these 90s teens dramas, too, that, you know, they really... There's sort of a a innocence to them. And I was also, you know, there were a lot of little things that surprised me. You know, for example, I was not expecting this, but the fashion in the show, at least the parts that I paid attention to in particular, has aged kind of well.
0: Well, I, I think it's also the... Cyclicality of trends, right? True. This is exactly the time that like hip Gen Zers are drawing on now.
1: Oh, that's a good point because like you know, crop tops apparently are really in right now, and there are a lot of crop tops in the show. So, well,
0: also my knowledge of what Gen Zers think is hip in which Gen Zers are hip comes exclusively from TikTok. So I may or may not be on the money on that one. I
1: mean I, I think that's true for most Gen Zers as well.
0: Are there any actual science fictional ideas in the episodes that you thought were interesting, creative, or insightful?
1: The one thing that I found interesting was that one of their powers was explicitly because there's three aliens. There's Max, there's Isabel, and there's Michael.
0: Yeah, and just to as a you know to put it in, very classic archetypes max he's silent he's broody he's broad shoulders he's hot question mark the show wants you to think he is <laughs> and then there's Isabel, who is played by katherine heigl and she's supposed to be like the hot cool girl and then there's michael who is very very classically the troubled bad boy who has an abusive foster dad. And I'm not being joking about the idea of having an abusive foster dad, because that sucks. But there is no... There's not a single scrap of nuance in that portrayal.
1: It is not a subtle show. <laughs> no. And mentally, that's part of the charm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the fact that one of their powers explicitly was ability to sort of, like, detect and manipulate, like, molecular structure, both because... A, that's like a really versatile power to have. And so, you know, from a writer's perspective, I can imagine that allowing you to do a lot of stuff in the future that you may not have initially planned for, but, you know, you can justify it now because you can do a lot with that. But also B, because they did play around with it in some interesting ways, even the first two episodes. I mean, you know, there's the useful things like that's how it uh, Max healed Liz after she got shot. And they can also use it to break into buildings by basically melting the locks temporarily you know I I did like that you know that was pretty clever I think and it's not really we don't usually see supernatural or superhuman abilities like contextualized in the sense of I'm playing around with something's molecular structure I thought that was cool yeah so that's like that was like the major thing that stood out for me from a science point of view I've got some other notes too but they're closer to snark or just you know the fact that I kind of wish the crash festival was a real thing because it looks like a lot of fun to go to
0: yes the ending shot of that episode is so funny accidentally because it's the three aliens looking at the like simulacrum of the crash that they do very like longingly and full of sadness and it's like i guess that would be sad if you were a crash-landed alien this is another thought i had which is we get a lot of like teen romances with werewolves with vampires. Not a lot of alien content out there.
1: No, no. You know, I, I really think that Roswell is probably ahead of its time in that respect.
0: Absolutely. Why do you think it is that we don't have more alien stuff? Like, even in Animorphs, there was Jake and Cassie and Rachel and Tobias, but nobody was hooking up with Axe. Yeah. And by hooking you know... up, I mean, like, making Crush Eyes, because they're all, like, 13.
1: Yeah, especially since, I mean, you know, he can even take a human form if he wants to. Yeah, I think it's because it's easier to romanticize sort of like mythological creatures, partially because the rules for them are, I guess, a bit more established in sort of the popular consciousness of, oh, yeah, you're a vampire, you can't go out in the sun for whatever reason. Or, oh, yeah, you're a werewolf, you know, once a month you'll turn into this ferocious beast. Whereas aliens, it's a bit more open which I guess is a you know it's a good thing because it allows more creativity but at the same time it I suspect it may make it a bit harder to sell since you know you can't just say oh it's an alien love story and everybody's going to know what it's more or less what it's about as the same way you could say oh it's a vampire love story because everybody knows what those tropes are
0: I also wonder I've I you know you read a lot of like folkloric analysis right and it's like vampires represent sexual taboo mm-hmm. because you know there's piercing and there's dad don't listen they're sucking and there's sort of the seduction of a vampire that's very like intimate and like animalistic and then similarly with werewolves there's like a total loss of control and also they get very hairy right which certain groups of gay men mm-hmm. are particularly into Um, Shout out to all my bears in the audience. Appreciate you. And I wonder if it's just like none of us can land on like what is the like sexual
1: subtext of aliens. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's also odd because like the specifically in like the teen romance section of it, because I mean, like Mass Effect series. It fantastically well, in part because you could shag a bunch of the aliens on the crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's very much not necessarily something designed in the mold of the teen romance.
0: But I actually, I think Becky Chambers really has tapped into...
1: Ooh, yeah, that actually is a good one.
0: ...the romantic and sexual potential of aliens, because
1: all of her
0: aliens offer, like, just enough familiarity that it doesn't feel, like, kind of inappropriate bestiality, but mm-hmm. enough distance that there's still a little spice. There's some spice, there's some interest.
1: Right. Yeah. No, I, I think that I think that's a very good way of sort of like conceptualizing what she is doing really, really right.
0: Um shout out to Becky Chambers. Uh but yeah, what we were talking about? Oh, sexual potential. Well then this is a great segue to Max and how much that guy sucks. <laughs> he he just sucks. He's really annoying, and he only gets more annoying
1: yeah i I definitely I couldn't really figure out like what his purpose and well i mean I know what his purpose in the story is supposed to be, but like he never was very good at inhabiting it of oh, he' a love interest, and he's better than Kyle in most respects, I think, though that's a pretty low bar
0: well, this is the thing, so Kyle is the guy that Liz was dating over the summer, and he is supposed to be like a popular jock kind of guy, but he's he's a short king, yeah. Oh, so, you know, a b- busting stereotypes, I guess. And he's also the son of the sheriff. And the sheriff has a dark past because his dad basically wasted his whole life hunting for aliens. And he was known as kind of the town kook and nobody respected him. And he, the sheriff, has always been very, like, resentful of this. But now he's becoming the town kook, and he's hunting after aliens. So what a twisted web.
1: I would like to say that also I did take a little bit of umbrage that, you know, they were talking about, oh, they're, you know, government alien hunters. And I'm like, as someone who arguably is a government-sponsored alien hunter, you know, I wasn't, I don't know how I feel about the portrayal of people in my community in the show.
0: <laughs> well, this, it, there, you know, there's the feds, and then there's, like, the cool guys i.e. scientists
1: that's true that's true and it's also worth noting that i am not directly employed by the government they just occasionally shoot me a grant towards my lab there you go
0: so max just kind of sucks and it's very clear he's supposed to be like the classic like distant mysterious he has dark hair he broods he's introverted he doesn't talk to people but in fact he just is really annoying and yep. he doesn't have a lot to offer and let me tell you right now if you come on this journey with me of watching all of Roswell, you are only going to sour on him increasingly forever. Gotcha. But you'll really turn around on Kyle. That's a fun little treat waiting in future seasons. Because, you know, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but this it should be pretty obvious to people, I think. They ring as much as they can out of the sheriff hunting them down, and then he turns coat and he's an ally. Oh, thank God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't keep that going for 3 seasons. But yeah, I would say in general, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being you didn't even try, 10 being great, love it. How would you rate your general feeling in like the establishment of alien lore?
1: in roswell i'd probably put it as a six or a seven mostly because they have have left themselves so much room to you know kind of explore and you know have reasonable justifications for why the aliens are the way that they are i did find it a little odd that apparently their saliva has a lot of cells in it which is not true for humans but i'm just going to assume that's
0: also it's possible that he took it and he i wasn't I don't. I wasn't watching that closely, but you know, sometimes when you're biting on a pencil, you do kind of rub it on the inside. Oh,
1: that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. So he could have just been gross. Yeah, I'll give him an opinion of the doubt. Done.
0: Yeah, it is so funny though that like Liz was able to just take his pencil, that was effectively a cheek swab, and be like. Green, just stain it,
1: Put it on a slide. I did like the fact that they showed her staining it.
0: Great job. Well, it, I do one thing that I do really appreciate about Roswell is that Liz is genuinely a, like a nerd. She's not just like a pretty girl and they say that she likes science, and then but they don't show that ever. She like wants to go to MIT, she yeah. wants to head her own lab. She has specific scientific interests.
1: Even within the first two episodes, you know, she knows how to research. She's really on top of, like, putting dots together and performing experiments.
0: Yeah. Which also just gives even more to, like, why are you wasting your time on this trip? Yeah. Yeah. But I can't say if I were the object of affection of an alien who wasn't bad looking and I were a biologist, and also 16, I'd give him a chance.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can totally understand that. Just for the
0: experience, if nothing else. How many people get to kiss an alien? Exactly. Not many, I
1: bet. I I have to say, certainly I haven't so far, and it's been a bit of, bit of a letdown in my career. I
0: know, I know. Well, we'll get you there. <laughs> Consensually.
1: Of course. So, okay.
0: So aliens, Max sucks. Michael is very closed off emotionally. Well, I guess let's round out the trio of aliens. How does Isabel strike you?
1: They are like really going strong, at least in the first two episodes with making her the cool girl who probably thinks she's better than you on some level. I'm sure given how TV works at some point, she'll open up and express more vulnerability She's also, ironically, probably the most aggressive of the three, at least in terms of, like, you know, as soon as she even slightly suspects that their cover's been blown, she wants out. They really, like, built her up as being, you know, the aggressive, tough girl, cool girl, female character, I think. Um, But I'm pretty sure she won't stay that way, again, just because of how TV works.
0: Yeah. You're not wrong. And she does also get a love interest. And you can probably guess exactly who it is because there were only six main characters. Yep. But that actually turns out to be a pretty nice relationship, such as it is. Although, I don't want to get too deep into spoilers, because I want you to experience it Mm. for real. But let's just say some sad stuff happens Mm. at some point. Gosh, I love aliens. Well, here's another thing. If you were in Liz's position, how do you think you would process that information
1: honestly i would be probably less frightened and more just intensely curious Mm. i want to know everything i can about this i'll keep it secret because you know i don't want anything bad to happen to you but uh, you know tell me everything you can because you know when's the next opportunity you're going to have to talk about someone from presumably a completely different lineage of life
0: (laughs) Well, I, I, I will say, how much of a burden, like, do you think you would be satisfied with the pieces of evidence that Liz is presented with? Because from where I'm standing, the idea that one of my classmates, who is a very physically mature, closed-off boy, who I think is cute, clearly, is an alien from real outer space and not just any old alien, but specifically one of the aliens from the crash that fuels my town's entire tourism industry. I think I would, I would find that a hard pill to swallow.
1: Yeah. And the other thing is like, I got shot and then I was healed. First off, how do I even know it was him? And I I have to admit, I'm also a little puzzled that she doesn't, and maybe they do this later that she doesn't like, Demonstrate more signs of trauma from, you know, getting shot and also possibly dying.
0: I, well, I'll say that we see the effects in a way eventually, but the getting shot truly is just a conceit so that they can have a show.
1: Right. I figured.
0: Yeah. Cause I would find it, cause I've looked at cells on slides, obviously, because I've had eight years of post-secondary biology education, and three years of biology in high school. I've looked at a couple of cells, and I don't know that I am so confident in my own microbiological abilities that I could look at one slide and decide, yeah, this guy's an alien. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean... There would have to be something really weird about them. And even then, uh, because otherwise I'd be like, huh, that's weird. I, he must have like gotten a different type of cell on his pencil or whatever, um, because like I don't have the shape and configuration of every cell in the body memorized. Certainly didn't 16. Certainly not.
0: Well, and it's also just like these, because this is what's interesting to me. Like taking this real seriously, like today, if we found somebody whose cells were weird... And just like complete, because this is because this is because this is the thing, right? Is that most biological imaging is ultimately pretty fuzzy and kind of inconclusive, and you have to know what you're looking for, right? And even like astronomical imaging, right? We've talked to a lot of people who are basically looking to find patterns in spots of light, right? And that could be anything, and it isn't, but it, you know, to an untrained or subtrained eye it looks like nothing
1: right exactly
0: <laughs> so there's that and then also just like i i find it so wild to think about of just like or like finding some finding an organism that had dna that was recognizably dna but sequences that didn't match anything but i have sequenced organisms which had like a 0% match with any other sequence in a database, not because it was alien, but because we haven't exhaustively sequenced everything in the world. Right. So the, the sort of the, um, the barrier of evidence, I think is always very interesting to me to think about. Like, it's such a wild thing to think that you found an alien or alien life. That, like, I, I almost can't imagine ever fully trusting what I was seeing yeah. if I happened on that kind of evidence.
1: Like, even when, you know, he demonstrates that he can play around with molecular structure, I'm like, you know what? Uh, does that necessarily mean you're an alien, though? And for that matter, something that wasn't entirely clear to me is how do they how do they know that they're aliens? I mean, yes, they emerged out of these pods in 1989 and wandered into the desert. But they don't seem to have any memory of who or what they were beforehand. So, uh, how would they make the jump that they were also aliens?
0: That's what the that's what they should have done in the reboot slash revival. I can't remember where we're drawing the distinction between. It's a these two reimagining, concepts. apparently. A reimagining. That's what they should have done. Not that they're actually aliens, but that there's some weird scientist doing genetic engineering who planted human children that he engineered in pods and then they thought they were aliens right exactly that's a show i'd watch they are aliens uh we do learn but you know i
1: mean i figured
0: you make a compelling point
1: because like yeah you know they talk about oh the crash i'm like how would you know anything about the crash you literally said you weren't born yet none of your elders have shown up to tell you about it because uh, they talk about how they're the, the only three people that they know of that are that are aliens.
0: Yeah, I imagine it may be kind of like an intuitive self-understanding, mm, That you would know, make the sense. way that like premature individuals still recognize themselves as a member of their species. Oh, uh, that's true. That's true. Like yeah, a deep, like gut knowledge. I'm not human. Although who knows? I don't think they specifically address that because it's the kind of question. That with all the love in my heart, only a real nerd would ask. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I love this show. <laughs> I think it's the best. Here's my other question Is we've established that you would like for there to be aliens, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be such a surprise if you were in astrobiology, but you were also like, I hope I don't find anything. <laughs> I'm in this field to make sure we don't have anybody else out there. <laughs> No way, the ultimate xenophobia. But yeah, how disappointed would you be if we met aliens and we just knew that they were aliens? Like beyond reasonable doubt, aliens. How disappointed would you would would you be if they were just kind of annoying humanoid teenagers?
1: You know what? I would put up with it because it's not really them I'm interested in. It's their cells and biochemistry. Yeah. So as long as they're willing to donate, like, plasma or the equivalent thereof, you know, even on a (laughs) one-time basis, they, you know, I don't have to talk to them when they're not in the lab, which would be most of the time. So I think I'd be willing to put up with it.
0: Although I think this does actually become, like, a storyline of, like, resistance to... Because Isabel references this of, like, why they have to keep themselves hidden. Because if they made themselves known as... Extraterrestrials, then they would just become study subjects. Yeah. So I think, you know, bodily autonomy first.
1: Well, I mean, presumably it would be consensual. Yeah. You know, but beyond that, like, I would be willing to put up with however annoying they are as long as I, you know, they were willing to provide interesting data about themselves as biological organisms.
0: Yeah. Although I would think, I mean, it's tough because thinking about it, if I were an alien and I had come to Earth and I didn't know about my own people, and I didn't know where I came from specifically, and I felt alien, literally alienated all the time, I might be a little bit annoyed if somebody just wanted to take my cells and stuff. True. On the other hand, if I'm me and I have an equal interest, because this is what I imagine. If I were one of them, I would have gotten deep into biology to be able to understand myself in contrast to the life that, everybody else knows about
1: right and i mean honestly that's kind of like the thing that the way i would approach it would be hey let me do this because i hopefully it'll help us narrow down where you might have come from and you know have a better understanding of who you are because it's really the only thing we have to work with
0: well that's an interesting proposition of do you think it is realistic like is this something that people talk about if we had a sample of extraterrestrial life but decontextualized, not we went and we sampled it from a planet, but we found something determined that it was non-terrestrial in origin. Are there actually any clues in biology that would lead you back to a
1: source? We could at least narrow it down potentially. If it's very similar to ours, we can assume it came from a planet with a very similar Environment, you know, oxygen, atmosphere, fairly temperate climate, we could exclude like a whole bunch of planets that we have detected. So that would really help narrow it down. You know, if they had more exotic biochemistry, we could say, oh, you know, you must have come from a much colder planet with, you know, say an atmosphere rich in hydrogen. So we could look for planets that have those sorts of surface conditions. So that would help if we could actually narrow it down to like a group of planets looking at the stoichiometric ratios of you know the elements in a given cell could also help narrow it down um you know oh, I example,
0: love talking stoichiometric ratios oh
1: yeah basically you know the amount of say nitrogen in ratio to the amount of carbon basically how many different types of elements do you have in your body proportional to each other for example uh, algae has a very famous ratio it's called the redfield ratio it's um each cell of algae for every 106 atoms of carbon has 16 atoms of nitrogen and one of phosphorus. The interesting thing about that is if you look at the stoichiometric ratio of most organisms on this planet, a lot of it is pretty close, not identical, but fairly close to what you see in seawater. And that would probably be pretty unique to this planet just because of, you know, the various numerous possibilities that could and you know chance events that it could occur in planetary formation i don't think you're going to end up with a lot of planets that have absolutely identical elemental ratios in their seawater for example so that could also help narrow it down a little i think
0: Hmm. Huh. well that's fantastic you said that you could explain like the actual facts of Roswell. So, this
1: is one of my favorite stories and I think it only got fully declassified you know, within the last 20 years or so. So what crashed in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947 was not a weather balloon. That much is true. However, it wasn't a UFO either. At least we're pretty sure it wasn't. What had been going on in that part of the world in that time period was that the U.S. had launched an operation called Project Mogul that was trying to develop very, very high-altitude balloon lifted platforms for detecting or at least trying to detect the very very low frequency sounds caused by soviet nuclear testing and it has to be very very high up in the atmosphere too due to like how the acoustics and atmospheric density and temperature work that you know that would be the best place to try to detect these from around the world cuz keep in mind this is 1947 we don't have satellites we just can't you know have eyes over Russia and see if they're setting a nuke off. Uh, and we wanted to know like how far along was their nuclear program? What sort of testing were they doing? And you could send planes over, but A, they got really annoyed about that with good reason, and B, it was pretty obvious you were doing it. So this was hoped that this would be a way to detect them from the other side of the planet while you were still in the U.S. and U.S. airspace. Now, for obvious reasons, this involved a lot of at the time very technically advanced equipment and it was also deeply classified because we didn't want the Russians to know we were trying to do it. Partially because we wanted we, you know, didn't want them to figure out a way to somehow defeat this uh, system, but also we didn't want them to know what we were doing, you know, and reverse engineer the technology. But anyways, so these things were strung up on something that was Notionally similar to a weather balloon, but much, much larger. It was usually a cluster of balloons. And it was this very sophisticated platform of a lot of very sensitive audio detectors. Again, you know, this is 1947. It's mostly, you know, vacuum tubes, but it's still very sophisticated for the time period. And they were launched out of the Southwest because, you know, the weather just at that time of year was pretty clear. And you're not going to get them, your balloon system that you've spent a lot of time and money developing knocked down by storms. One of them still crashed in Roswell anyway. And obviously the farmer who found it was like, what the heck is this? Because again, this is very advanced technology. You know, I think the balloons were mylar, which was not a common material at the time. And so he told the military, um, and it was very obvious that it wasn't a weather balloon because even back then people had seen weather balloons and, you know, their payloads are usually very small, relatively speaking. This thing was big and bulky and the government force got in and freaked out and was like, oh, no, you, you know, obviously we can't let the Soviets know about this. So um, we're just going to say it was a weather balloon. Everybody's like, duh, this is obviously not a weather balloon. What if it's a UFO? And the government was like, yeah, sure, let's go with that. It was a UFO. It was essentially, you know, accidental sort of counter espionage campaign to sort of distort and dissemble what actually happened there. That, you know, they would rather the Soviets think that a UFO crashed and that we have pieces of it than have them actually put two and two together and be like, oh, they were trying to detect our nuclear tests. So that's actually what happened and why the government was so hush hush about it and why they've been so willing to like let people just believe, oh, it was a UFO.
0: I mean, technically anything, it can be a UFO. True.
1: If you don't know what it is. Um, But yeah, that's the story of what actually happened at Roswell. Huh.
0: I mean, it's a little bit underwhelming, but anything is underwhelming if the other option is aliens. Yes, this is true. I think if if we did encounter aliens, I would freak out and I would also be very excited.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think those are appropriate responses. I think I would also freak out.
0: I think more than anything, and this kind of reflects poorly on me as a person, um, but I'm owning it. I've been in therapy for a decade. I know my weaknesses. I think I would have a lot of, like, research-focused FOMO of, like, uh, I'm just over here working
1: on taxonomy, and there are aliens? Aliens, we'd have, would open up a whole new world of taxonomy.
0: I mean, unfortunately, I've thought about this a lot, but ultimately, my answer to the question of how to integrate extraterrestrial life into our taxonomic system is that they would just be new domains.
1: Yeah. On the other hand, it would give you an amazing outgroup for doing any sort of phylogeny experiments.
0: You're not wrong. You're not wrong. (laughs) I would love, because it is a very, like, not quite ship of Theseus, but kind of collection of morphological traits of Theseus. Of, like, what if we found something that, based on diagnostic criteria, would just exactly be an insect? But, of course, it can't be an insect if it's from Mars. Right. Because it has no shared evolutionary history.
1: That's actually, like, a really interesting thought experiment. Because also, you know, with convergent evolution being what it is, you know, it's not out of the question that you get something that would look very similar, despite having absolutely no shared ancestry whatsoever.
0: Yeah, And then it's a very, like, emotional quandary, because if what I love is insects, but we have an extraterrestrial organism that could, on first sight, be an insect, but it technically cannot be one because of no shared evolutionary history, do I also love this alien as much as I love insects, or is it a new kind of love? Hmm. <laughs> This is what keeps me up at night when I'm not thinking about more immediate disasters that are keeping me up at night. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. There's a lot of room in my brain to be worried about a whole spectrum of problems.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and actually, I've started, I added at some point a, a new question to our list of questions that I don't think we've gotten your answer to on record. Mm -hmm. So that's how we're going to close out this episode. So I've started adding if there were a human colony on the moon or Mars or like a permanent residential space in orbit, which I know is kind of the International Space Station, but you got to be an astronaut Mm -hmm. and it's not a real like living environment. Right, right. I'm talking like generation ship type environment. Would you want to join
1: yes but i would probably feel more comfortable if i had the option of going home if i decided to
0: can't go home
1: Hmm. in that case
0: this is not that far future
1: i would um i would probably say yes but it would probably be like a retirement thing you Mm. know once i feel like i've done all the stuff i can or want to on earth you know that's when it would be time to move on
0: yeah i absolutely would not do it I don't want to live in space. There was something, I was talking to my best friend Tanya, shout out Tanya, about one ridiculous thing that Elon Musk said or whatever. Or just like the general billionaire obsession with forming colonies off of Earth, which is obviously problematic. A, because, right. come on. B, because it, it it's a very fatalistic like, well, we've messed up this one. Let's move on. And it's like. Right,
1: exactly. It, it's come on. not a great way to approach it.
0: Yeah. And then it's also like, do you, Mars is never going to be more hospitable to me than Earth, where I live my Earth life and breathe Earth air in my organic body evolved to live on Earth. Exactly.
1: It's a very hostile environment. So
0: shout out to Earth. Got some of my favorite stuff here. Insects, cats, poutine, It's a great place to live.
1: I will also say regarding like the whole like, you know, Elon Musk, let's go colonize another planet is that, you know, again, because it's such a hostile environment, it always kind of surprises me that these are the people who think they will, you know, take to the stars because a capitalist economy, which is predicated on just continuous growth, which ours currently is. Is a really bad idea on a planet. You know, eventually you run out of resources, you wreck the environment. It is a fantastically terrible bad idea on like a space habitat that is, you know, orders of magnitude smaller.
0: Well, and it's also not to advocate for murder, which I want to be clear, I'm not doing. But if you're a billionaire who has no real practical skills to offer and who has this mindset of I am fundamentally more important than other people. Do you really think you're going to get six months into a Mars colony where people are feeling the grief of abandoning their home planet and the stress of a new environment and all of the weird stuff that space inevitably will do to your body and mind? And they're not just going
1: to... Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good point. You know, you're going to be first out the airlock if it ever comes down to it.
0: They're not going to keep somebody around... Who's not going to take their turn cleaning out the toilets?
1: Exactly. And I th- you know, I think that's something also they haven't really recognized. You know, I am personally in favor all the way of like human space exploration, but it's mostly in the context of, well, exploration, you know, finding out what's there, being scouts, et cetera.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, to circle back to Becky Chambers who i'm a big fan of shout out becky pretty sure she's gay she has a wife so great Uh, job
1: yep she's some flavor of queer Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: i really liked the sort of world building of to be taught if fortunate and the idea of we are sending people out into space only to explore and to enrich our knowledge but not to build colonies Great. Well, if people want to find me online, I am on Twitter at Cockroach Arles.
1: I am online on Twitter at Spacermace, Mace, S-P-A-C-E-R-M-A-S-E. And also I have a website, TessaFisher.com.
0: You can find the podcast on Twitter at ASABpod or at our website, ASABpodcast.com, where we post transcripts and show notes for every episode. And if you like the podcast, please tell your friends about it or other people who are looking for podcasts. That's supposedly the number one way that podcasts grow.
1: And until next time, keep on science